0: How you use them. T minus
1: three, two, one, zero, and
0: liftoff. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to BizDoc Podcast. I'm here with Kai Lode, and we are going to dive into some stats and a case study on WeWork. Stats this week, this is what we got. SPACs are whack. It's exactly what you would think. They went out in a not real IPO and they crashed. What a surprise. Then Target is way off target. Now it's the earnings report, not just funky clothing that they're selling. Then worker loyalty has gone from stable to down after COVID. How did that happen? Wow, workers are less loyal after what they went through in COVID? Gosh, wouldn't have thought. And finally, Kai's gonna take us through fast food winners and losers. With restaurants closing and inflation up, fast food's doing surprisingly well. And first, now let's go into the first stat. We have SPACs or Whack, And we got this first graphic coming up here. There's a bit of an eye chart, a lot going on here. But the first thing to talk about is, what is a SPAC? What you're looking on here is the stock charts for nine representatives. Companies that went public with a SPAC didn't go uh, public through a regular IPO. And by going public through a SPAC, you know there's certain risks. Because an IPO, you have to go out and you have to sell to each one of the market makers and each one of the um, sellers that are gonna go out there on the street with you. And you go on what's called a roadshow and you literally sell it to everybody. A SPAC is sort of a reverse merger, and I'll tell you the difference another time, but it usually has higher risk for whether a company was ready to go. And take a look at this top row. Since going out in 2022, and I'm gonna skip WeWork here, because I'm about to do the case study on it, but you can see it's lost 99% of its value. You know, what on earth is left? Well, I'm gonna tell you what's left. Bird, down 99%. BuzzFeed, 94%. SoFi, they are actually almost the best of this. And um, SoFi kind of reminds me of that, uh, that line in Animal House, mm-hmm. where he was going through the GPA of everybody that was at uh, Delta. Yeah. And he goes, Daniel Simpson Day has no grade point average. And so you also have here SoFi down 64%. And Hims and HERS, you know, um, they're only at 59%. You see, they dip down, but they managed to get it up a little bit, which is, I guess, what Hims does as a company. But take a look at these. 23andMe, down 91%. I mean, this is amazing. When you see this as an independent guy with a 401k, with an IRA, I mean... Kai, what do you think about when you see this, and this is supposed to be reputable companies that have gone public, 23andMe, Open Door, HIMS, HERS, BuzzFeed, SoFi. SoFi is a very reputable uh, uh, financial services company uh, providing alternative finance and loans to a a segment of America with their name on a freaking stadium in Los Angeles where the Super Bowl was played. So everybody knows who they are, but when you see this as a younger independent investor, what do you think?
1: I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I think the, the easiest thing to see on this chart is if, when you look at when these companies went public through specs, uh, all of them are between what? 20 and the tail end of 21 to 23, which is when the COVID bonanza and, and the markets were just going crazy. So in my, in my estimation, it's two words, fake money at that point, because they're all starting high and then it just tankers off where if the best one is down 59% in what, two years two and a half years, that's the best performance you have in terms of that. It just goes to show how ballooned they were starting off and then having to adjust. So the interesting thing I see about this is they started during a very turbulent time, but the question for me is once the market, like the market stabilizes and potentially goes down, will these go down with it? Is this the bottom for them or is this just merely like the middle point?
0: Well, I'm gonna get it to the case study about WeWork, but you look at WeWork and Bird down 99%. I mean, there's bottoms and then there's bottoms, maybe. they they definitely don't have a lot to go. No, I I look at this and I just say, the IPO process has its sins and it Mm -hmm. has its problems. uh, Where companies pay big fees to investment banks and, and whatnot on Wall Street. To go public and sometimes people say those fees aren't good the the companies are actually priced too low should be priced a little higher and it's a game and a lot of people have been saying that for a lot of years just how much of a game that it is but when you step back and you look at this now in my opinion at least what we're seeing here is that the IPO process kind of works and the vetting to make sure a company is ready to be on the stock market as opposed to hey i found some people that can put me out and I'm gonna go out in a spAC, here I go. Yeah. Everybody in the pool. And then you start announcing earnings and you find out, wow, you guys weren't ready. So I I think there's a lot of investor suits that are just uh you know waiting to happen. You know Yeah, no, um, for
1: sure. And and the other interesting part which we looked at last week was how the, SPAC, the SPACs are done. Like we had, it was it was slowly, stably moving in terms of how many companies went public with SPACs or through that process. And then it took off during those two years and then it just like stabilized again. So I think that it's not necessarily SPACs themselves that don't work. It's more so the process and the timing of when they did end up going live that yeah, yeah. that really missed the mark. But they're, there's they're not, another company that missed the mark.
0: Yeah, it's not, it's not just they've... Um, They're not in fashion anymore it's like they're it's it's worse than out of fashion yeah it's like like a bad trend you can't do it you can't do specs now you you can't do it no one who's who's going to do it so which doesn't really lead to this but it does lead to this so going out public if you're not ready you are really off target with what you're going to be telling the market and speaking of off target target is off target
1: yeah they've uh they've had a rough quarter for sure
0: and we got to take a look at this woof 26 consecutive quarters where sales grew stayed the same. So Target was there, a little bit of a rebrand, you know, things that were going on—not uh, rebrand, more of a reposition, slightly more upscale, and doing a pretty good job of it. And then,
1: yep, no, absolutely. I mean, they 20 26 consecutive quarters, and then you see it's down, uh, sales slumped down 5% year over year in 2023 Q2, and they're down almost 20, almost. 30 percent since what the peak of q4 2020 so it's been a it's been a rough few years and obviously a lot of people are upset about what they've been doing with the way they've been pushing um, certain of those um, more woke clothing and stuff like that with the with the whole pride month which is in many ways what kicked it off but we see here too before they had a few slumps whether it's q4 2013 when there was a data breach and then in 2016 when they had a couple of years, but then they reinvested money back into the business. They worked on improving the stores, which kind of stabilized and was able to take it off here with, the, with capitalizing on the COVID bonanza. I mean, I remember going into Target and there were all empty shelves. So that definitely is, is good for their bottom line on that end. Um, but they've definitely woken up to this situation right here.
0: Well, I think you also have to look at what happened in Q2. Um, so we live in a diverse world yep there are same-sex couples that have babies have surrogates that have their babies or adopt <clears throat> and they have families and they go into target for diapers clothing and all the thing, what have you and serving a diverse market in america uh, a, a diverse audience in america that happens to be diverse by lifestyle is not the same trying to over cater to a single highly volatile volatile you know radioactive element in that audience where everybody, including many same-sex couples, were like, hey, the, you, you haven't, this is no longer pride, this isn't pride, this is lunacy. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about here is people call it trans, other people call it cross-dressing. I'm just quoting what the media has said. And there's a lot of people that are um, in the, the same-sex community that will say, this is cross-dressing, there is, no, there is no sex change, it's just cross-dressing. They haven't taken hormones, they haven't had surgery, they're just cross-dressing. Um, you know, from a swimmer that's no longer, that was disqualified, he can't swim in the Olympics, because he says, you ain't really a girl, dude, you know? That thing hanging down, that's not a girl part. And. So he can't swim And talking about yep. you-know-who, yep. um, who won the Ivy League championship and now can't swim in the Olympics. So they said, time out. Saying you identify as female is different from actually becoming female. You didn't become female. You just said you felt female. You had emotions female. You were identifying female. And you got in the water as a man, and you kicked their ass. Mm-hmm. And so that is what caught Target out, is they thought, I think, that they were you know catering to maybe you know, the trans community, kinder, gentler, trans community inside of the, the same sex, you know, market. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing blew up because it's like, no, there was an undercurrent that said, you know, women in this country were, you know, being deprived and things were being lost. And right in the middle of that, they made the wrong decision and they just paid for it yep, in a big way. So target off target, it didn't have to be that way. You know, they have a, a tremendous amount of people in their stores of all kinds of lifestyles and you tried to over cater to one, and you just, as they said, you walked out in the backyard and you stepped in it, mm-hmm. and um, more than once. And then you fell and you did a face plant in it. So, good luck to you. So, that happened at the end of, uh, you know, twenty Q 2 Q one Q two, right? Yeah, Q one yeah, may, may, obviously. And it's like good luck to you. good luck to you.
1: So it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back now as uh, Q three and Q four for the year to see if they're able to make a correction or if they're kind of just doubling down on on that.
0: And my oh my, how the world has changed and the world changes fast on you, such as before, after COVID. Let's take a look at this chart and let's look at worker loyalty. So what we see here is before COVID from like 2007 to 2017, 18, you add loyalty, meaning what percent of workers have been at a company 10 years and it was about 33 percent give or take uh, total was 33 men a little bit more women a little bit less but they followed the lines of each other but look what happens you know as you go into covid and then you come out it is it is dropping and it's about to be sub 30 percent when you take a look at this you look at trends that were over time now you look at workers doing this and i think workers are doing this because a lot of companies were opportunistic coming out of COVID and workers weren't, you know, all this work from home stuff wasn't power to the workers. There's a bunch of things that happened here that actually hurt workers and now they're voting with their loyalty.
1: No, absolutely. It's I your generation
0: that's in yeah. the middle of this. Yeah, no, What do you sure. think?
1: I think um, there's a few, few aspects that kind of go into mind. I'll, I'll wind it back here a little bit to where this chart starts at uh, <laughs> 1982 where obviously you see men hovering, probably what seems like between 35 and 40%, um, which makes sense. And then as time goes on, as technology evolves, there's, there's obviously more speed in the market, more companies are going out of business. Uh, it's not as stable 401k retirement plan, the whole whole shebang there. Uh, it dips in 2007, which is when a lot of people got when lost their job or went out of work. Uh, then it kind of climbs up again throughout the next couple of years. And then it dips again, like you're saying, during the COVID period. So I think there's a few elements to this. There's obviously a somewhat downward trend in terms of technology and stuff like that. And then I also think that just seeing with companies, whether it is uh, the adjustment work from home, this, that, and the other, or consolidation Um, Companies realizing that AI automation, that there's not as need for as much on that end, where they can really then kind of have to move places as opposed to stay at companies for longer extended period of time. And I genuinely don't see this trend really reversing as much. I think it's gonna keep kind of going down as technology keeps innovating and as people start adjusting to a more um,
0: lean organization as opposed to being big. I think it boils down to after eight and nine, we had some relative stability as the economy came back and people were relatively loyal. And then after COVID, not only was there the work from home, there's a lot of companies that didn't do the right thing. A lot of employees didn't do the right thing. And I think that the loyalty bridge was blown up between workers and businesses. And I think the stats are just starting to show what it is, which means the great businesses that are out there. If you're running a great business and you've got loyal people, cherish it. Be the place that people want to work. Be the place that people want to stay. I think it comes down to that. And speaking of coming out of COVID, so when we came out of COVID, we had a lot of things going on, and here we go now with fast food. look at this. This is the net income of the majors. And take a look at McDonald's. If you looked at basically rolling net income as a, in terms of market share, McDonald's owns it. Mm -hmm. And then Yum! Brands, which is KFC, Pizza Hut, Starbucks growing again, Chipotle. Chipotle's gone up and down with all the problems that they yep. had with you know um, food contamination. Yeah. And then restaurant brands, you see Burger King not having it. So this is really interesting. And you see that the profits have grown from, actually enduring COVID, middle of 22 coming back. They dipped a little bit during COVID, but they've, they've rallied quick. And I was looking at this and it's, it said for people under 40, fast food is slightly bigger percent of their lunch budget now than it was before COVID. So people are actually turning to fast food is isn't particularly healthy. And so fast food is showing the profits, but now where is that? Let's go take a look at where it is. Next slide. And we look at it right here. Who's building and who's shrinking? Starbucks, after all the troubles that they had going into COVID, they've actually opened 429 stores. Interesting. From End of 2022 from end of 21. Jersey Mike's, look at that, 297 stores. But now look at the bottom, Subway, minus 571. After they had that whole thing with the uh, spokesperson and a pedophilia, just disaster. And they've had, that's franchisees actually closing because they felt that the brand was so radioactive. Um, Because remember, if you're a franchise operator, you gotta keep your franchise happy or they're gonna close. And I attempted to look up and find out, of the 571 subways that closed, how many of them went across the street to open a Jersey Mike's location? Or just flipped their location? No. Um, I was not able to find the correlation there, but the numbers talk to it. And you look also at Burger King has lost locations. And then there's, you know, Baskin Robbins and Jack in a Box and things. Yeah. But I find it very interesting that Starbucks, Jersey Mike's and Chipotle are moving and the others aren't. And it shows up on the other side in the share of profits.
1: No, for sure. I think also the discrepancy in terms of the five hundred and seventy one and then the next up is ninety one. I mean, subway closed more uh, franchise 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 locations than the rest of the other ones on the chart here. Five times more. Uh, exactly. so the the other thing here that I was looking at with the uh, with the revenue and stuff like that was um I was looking at which of these have the most stores and then which of or locations, and then which of them are generating the most revenue. So I had a chart here that uh, Malik can pull up here where we were looking at the difference between the um, revenue generated from the locations because obviously some of these places have a lot more locations, right? So if you have more locations, you're gonna do more sales. Uh, But ultimately what it comes down to in many ways is how much sales per location, right? Um, So if we look at the top here, McDonald's has the most locations at 40,000 locations. Um, Subway, 37,000, which obviously they're now taking a hit in terms of being able to sustain that and grow. Uh, Starbucks, 36,000 locations, and they're up there on the top of building out more locations. Um, then we continue down, KFC, Burger King, kind of it just kind of trickles down. Now, on the next slide here, we can see the interesting part about which of these are generating the most revenue, right? So if we look at uh, the USA, we have 32.3 billion is Starbucks. Then we have 31.3 billion is KFC, which is interesting. Uh, Burger King, then McDonald's, but then look at uh, Chick-fil-A, 18.8 billion with 2,700 locations. Now that's a, they have solid. a tremendously
0: loyal audience I think.
1: and they're lo- they're turning they're turning over a lot of revenue per location on on that end. So obviously running a very efficient business there
0: there you go well i know where i'm eating and not eating and i tend to eat healthy and a lot of those on the fast food god bless them good companies i'm not going to be eating there anytime soon you know if it's, if it's healthy that's what i'm going to do it and that's where i'm going to spend my dollar especially in an age of inflation um that's and you know i'm not going to give up health for convenience but um, I don't have a gourmet chef doing lunches either. So I gotta I split the difference there and just be sensible. So That's what we got. Now I'm going to go over to the other studio and I'm going to get ready for the WeWork case study. Getting back in the first section where we're talking about WeWork. And we were talking about what was happening to SPAC companies. Well, WeWork was more than a SPAC. It was whack. Let's go. All right, here we go. So I said I would talk about WeWork. I'm going to talk about WeWork. In the comments for this week's case study, you're going to see a case study I did on WeWork way back when. That was before things got kind of funky, so there was a little part of me that was a little bit, not bullish, but a little bit optimistic of what I thought they could be. And we're going to put that case study in the comments. However, what I'm going to take you through today is a rather bloody ending. And so here we go with WeWork which a lot of people are joking, as in we won't, as in won't exist very much longer because there's talk of a corporate bankruptcy turning this into a disastrous commercial real estate smoking crater. But let me first take you through it. Once upon a time, we have founders and CEOs. So these two guys, they look happy, don't they? Miguel McKelvey on the left here and Adam Newman on the right. Adam Newman would become famous for drinking tequila at work, treating people really badly, uh, buying a Gulfstream 650 with investor money, and a variety of other things. I'm not going to go through all of them, but suffice to say, if you go back and look, that was a Silicon Valley guy born in Israel, not from Silicon Valley, but partying and doing exactly what the worst of Silicon Valley... unsupervised CEOs who do, which led to him, his ouster, and for a time, we have this gentleman, Sandeep Mathrani. And as you can see, a little bit older, looks a little bit more cooperative and far more well behaved. That led to, recently, he has stepped out, and right here in 2003, David Tully has stepped in as an interim CEO. So that's the leadership. We go from boys with an idea to take office buildings and rent parts of it to you and me. We work sort of a Regis. If you've ever been to Regis, you could rent office space, make it cooler, make it nicer. They go and they do their thing. Adam raises billions and billions of dollars, behaves badly, gets tossed out. He becomes CEO, and then we're here. So let's look at the quick history of all that pull a structure around what I just said. It all starts in 2010, founded in SoHo, which is part of Manhattan, New York, a little neighborhood down there. Then we're gonna skip these eight years of raising money and expanding and all these things that were going on to August of 2019 when the fund started. This thing was a darling. This thing was raising money from SoftBank and others, billions of dollars. They had raised at this time, by the time this happened, I think they had raised close to $15 billion to start up raised raise at the time they filed the S-1. Now, what is the S-1? <clears throat> the S-1 is a document that you put everything in by law and it says, I'm going public and here's the story. Like going to a doctor and getting x-rays, scans, blood work, urinalysis, everything, and handing that to your fiance's family to review your entire body. That's really kind of what happens with an S-1. You have to disclose everything. And if you look at it that way, do you smoke? Do you not smoke? Do you work out? What do you spend on yourself? But everything is in there by law, because if it's not, later the SEC can come after you. Well, there was so much in there that a lot of people started looking at so much that was in there and saying, wait a minute. What's going on? There's some things in here that don't make sense. How is Adam Newman renting places to himself? How does he, the owner of things that he's actually renting and turning them into WeWorks, what is up with that? And what is up with co-signing on a half a billion dollars of debt line for him personally? Stop. We don't like it. So guess what happens? Firestorm. And they withdraw. Okay, S1, we're withdrawing it on September 17th. That 30 days, if you want to go look at it, if you're an investor, it's one of the worst 30 days of headlines in history, and if you were like me, you're looking at it and just shaking your head for a month saying, I can't believe there's something else. I can't believe there's something else. Oh, there's something else. For 30 days, until I finally said, stop, we're pulling it back, maybe we'll go public toward the end of the year. Yeah, right, you will. Then, all that happens, all that scrutiny, everybody goes, not only should you not go public, this guy should be gone, Newman leaves the company. He stayed on kind of as a consultant, but he was out uh, off the board and a bunch of other things that happened there. He's out. SoftBank that had invested, they look at it and everybody sees a smoking crater forming and SoftBank writes down. Writes down means they wrote down the value of 9 billion dollars of their investment on November 6. Look at this. That's not even Two months from, here's our S1, we're going public. Celebration, big dinners, expensive bottles of wine. Boom, SoftBank's writing it down. Then, in 2020, all of this is, they're not going public, they're trying to dance, they're trying to get it. Adult comes in, Sandeep, to be CEO. Well, what do they do? They look around, they say, we still gotta go out because if we go public somehow, we can make some money. They go out in a SPAC a SPAC, $9 billion SPAC after now the total financing and debt had now crossed $20 billion. There they have it. And then today, Tali is the interim CEO and they're closing locations. They announced all of the square footage that was in Irvine. I think 70% of all their square footage that's WeWork in Irvine, California, which is Orange County, around the corner from Disneyland has been closed. And now their market cap, meaning their value is under 300 million dollars. And they announced a 40 to one stock split on the edge of bankruptcy. That's the headline this week. I'm gonna dive into that because that's what you wanted. Many of you sent me questions that said, hey, do we work? What's a 40 to one stock split? And why would they do that on one hand? I see that in the headline. And on another headline, this says they're about to go bankrupt. Well, guess what? Here it is. This right here was when they went out and they went public on the SPAC. And they went out and they were okay, doing okay. Boom. Oh, 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 oh. That's, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that's 14 cents. The stock is trading at 14 cents. 14 cents. A dime and less than a nickel. That's where it's trading now. And the market cap is at $285 million, which means the implied value of this company right now is $285 million after multi-billion dollar valuation. So what does a stock split do? If your stock is trading at $1,000, sometimes you do a four to one split to make it $250. So it's more affordable on a per share basis. That's very common. Amazon's done a lot of stock splits. A lot of companies do. Trading at 250, you do a five for one split, now it's trading at 50. More shares can spin around and it's more affordable on a per share basis. A reverse split is where you take 40 shares off the market and put one back out worth the 40. Well, 40 times 14 cents a share is something around five bucks. So 40 shares go off the market, one share stays, and now it's worth five bucks. Why is that important? I'll tell you why. If you fail to maintain a minimum price, that is bad, because you will get delisted. And this is on the New York Stock Exchange, and the New York Stock Exchange is talking about delisting the company. Well, if you delist the company on the Stock Exchange, you can't sell more stock in the future which is one way that companies raise money especially if you're losing money the way we work is you may need to use the public market as a way to raise money if you can but nonetheless the option goes away if you're delisted and it's very tough to get back to being public if you're delisted it's not just flipping a switch back and forth there's a big review that has to happen wait your stock was so inexpensive because your earnings or a controversy or something came up was so bad that the implied value based on the buyers and sellers what they're willing to pay for your stock was so low they're like no you know you're gone so what do you do you take the current price of 13 cents 14 cents 40 to 1 there's the 520 now you're above the one dollar you have to stay on but it's artificial It's artificial. All you've done is artificially created value by reducing number of shares. It doesn't change the underlying company. You may still be radioactive to keep partners, sponsors, it's people that would help you on the stock market and whomever. That's the problem with WeWork. If they can't find profitable business in the middle of this, then this reverse stock split just basically delays the inevitable. So, what are the headwinds? Headwinds is the wind against you. What is the wind against them? Well, part of the headwinds <clears throat> is themselves and what they've done, but also what is what's happened in commercial real estate. Work from home. You've heard everybody talk, and you've heard Pat and I talk on the PBD podcast about commercial real estate being readily available everywhere, and small banks maybe even trying to unload bad mortgages and the price for commercial real estate down. San Francisco and its own problems with public policy having tremendous vacancy. Well guess what that does? That means WeWork has also got tremendous vacancy because pe- the work from home and the commercial real estate market hurts them too. So the demand is down. That's a tough time for them to build revenue. And then. Return to office has turned out to be more of a headline than a reality. Some are coming back, many big companies are back, but overall we're seeing down in the big cities on commercial real estate. And now commercial real estate is a little bit radioactive for those small banks. So that's pushing on WeWork. And then finally, WeWork's board is finally clear eyed about the inevitable and this week they said There are quote unquote significant doubts about the company's viability going forward. And that my friend is the story behind one headline that says 40 to one reverse split and one headline that says pending bankruptcy. Both of those things are true. They're trying to stay on the stock market and they're desperately trying to find revenue, but they will never be able to issue more shares or use the stock market as a place to raise funds if they're delisted. And they're trying to stay on. But in the middle of it, they now have an interim CEO. That one CEO that stepped in and replaced uh, Adam Newman. You know, he had his time. They thanked him. They said nice things to him. But either he was burnt out or couldn't get it or didn't turn it around all the way. And now they have another person stepping off the board to into the CEO role on an interim basis. And that, my friend, is what's going on with WeWork. This high-flying fintech company, real estate tech, whatever you wanted to call them, um, has turned out to be um, a little bit of a disaster. And where they are right now, they're probably going to go bankruptcy, and then there'll be a sell-off, money will be made to help pay off certain debts. But at the end of the day, I think this company is probably done. And they may do three bankruptcies in a row for the next three years, but I think it's just going to you know, delay the inevitable. At the end of the day, I think this is one of the casualties of what will be seen as a broader commercial real estate bubble bursting. But what's bursting more was an ill-fated startup that had its high-flying moment and then from losing its IPO opportunity to losing its CEO and losing the trust of so many people in less than 60 days to where they are now on the edge of bankruptcy and just trying to stave off delisting. And that is the ugly story of WeWork. I'm gonna go back to the main studio and tell you about something that your company can benefit from. I love those case studies. Leave a comment down below and please subscribe. Let me know what case studies you wanna see next as for now i want to tell you about something there's one week to go as we film this particular case study we're nearing the end of august 2023 and there's one week before an exciting event that we want to bring more value to you as an entrepreneur an entrepreneur or a leader in a company wherever you may be and that is the vault conference presented by valuetainment the vault conference has got some great speakers this year there's one week to, for you to be there or if you're already coming consider a couple extra seats to bring some of your staff so they can get benefit as well these speakers are going to be there i've told you about them patrick Bet david that i'm kind of standing in front of right there of course the founder of the Vault Conference, and he's there every year speaking about sales, strategy, and more. And you, as an attendee, you get a very thick binder full of areas to take notes and great insights to all the topics that are being discussed. There's also leaders there. Leaders such as Tom Brady, right over here. And Tom Brady is gonna talk about winning championships with different mix of teammates. Just the same way you and I have to build our business and be successful, different mixes of employees over the years. You can lose a key employee because they took another job somewhere and Brady sometimes loses key teammates to free agency. He's going to talk about that career he had in football and all of that and leadership and winning championships, getting new teammates together and more. He says, <clears throat> Mike Tyson also has something to say about strategy in the ring. The same way you and I, before we go fight with a competitor, we better have an individual strategy for that. Mike is a great guy to listen to. He's also funny as hell. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. And then we have Will Gadara. And Will, Wrote the book, Unreasonable Hospitality, and took a restaurant in New York, 11 Madison Park, all the way to number one on the international rankings of restaurants. And he's going to talk about how he did it, how he built teams, and adjusted his product to get there. The Vault Conference, it's all of that and more so that we can leave you better than we found you. Next week, August 30th to September second, right in Fort Lauderdale, actually Hollywood, Florida, right by the Fort Lauderdale airport. There's still time to be there, still time to benefit. Would love to see you there. And until next time, as I like to say, I'm Tom Ellsworth, the Biz Doc, and I hope I left you better than I found you.